All right. Cliff, uh, we're not Cliff, uh, Steve Mays. Uh, been with us almost from the beginning. He had one of our first houses that we uh, opened, the House of Miracles. And some of you were graduates of that house that Steve was the elder over there in Santa Ana. And he went from uh, there in the House of Miracles uh, to pastoring churches. And God has blessed him there in South Bay in Los Angeles. And it's a joy and a blessing to work together with Steve for more years than I can remember. So, Steve, great to have you here. Well, it's good to be here. Amen? I haven't been here for a couple years, and uh, the reason why was I was always in the hospital. I'll give you two pictures to show you why. The first picture, whatever comes up, is probably... Is there a picture coming up? That's my new back. So that's why when I, you go to pat me on my back, I, I want to hit you in the face. So please, it, it hurts. And uh, in fact, the very top one, the T10, the screws is now is starting to come out again. But I think it's going to be okay. And then the second one, one reason I missed was the other one I had done is I had both my knees done. So <laughs> at one time. So. Anyway, that's it. That's what I'm going to share with you. But God has done such a great thing. Uh, I remember when I came to Christ that day. It was back in 1970. It was an unbelievable time in my life. I was uh, out there, you know, with a gun, was shot, and um, in the gutter. I remember Pastor Chuck taught a message, and Shirley and Henry Hinckley, uh, he would remember them. He never forgets the name, and so... If you rip him off, you're in trouble because he's never going to forget you at all. And uh, so they, he was preaching on reaching out and picking up hippies. Don't be afraid. And so Shirley and Henry, that day, it was a Sunday morning. They were going to go to church, and um, they walked out, and I was sleeping um, in between their car and uh, the curb. And I hadn't taken a bath for three months, hadn't brushed my teeth for three months, and and uh, didn't know why I didn't have any girlfriends then, but now I do. And uh, so they took me in. They get, and I cannot believe to this day they took me in. It was unbelievable. And uh, they took me inside. They gave me a bath and all that. They cleaned me up. And then they said, would you like to go to church? We can go to church that night. And I remember I went to Costa Mesa that night. And Chuck was teaching, uh, I think it was Genesis. Um, is this my mic? Uh, chapter 1 all the way through 20. Remember that you did those nights? One night, 20 chapters. Next night, 20 chapters. Next night, done. Three weeks. Unbelievable. And you didn't get up. He would say, what are you, what are you getting up for? Sit down. You can hold it. <laughs> you were stuck. And uh, I was in bib overalls and uh, bare feet. And I remember that he went before the board and said, okay. We'll just take the carpet out and let you guys come because the board was messing with them about, again, all the hippies coming in. But it was there that I saw this uh, 40-year-old guy, curly hair, carpenter, tough as nails, and um, I just fell in love with him. And I knew at that moment that he would always be there. He'd never give up. He'd never, ever give up. And so when I came to Christ, I said two things. Number one. God, don't let me lie ever again. And secondly, 
don't let me quit. Whatever it takes, I cannot quit. And so it's been the toughest time of my life the last couple of years. I've had five surgeries in, in um, eight months, four surgeries in eight months, uh, major surgeries. And uh, basically the pin came out and this came out and that came out. And um, all of a sudden we find out that I have all these problems and I have to give myself a shot. So the bones begin stronger. But through it all, um, I wrote a couple of books. And so overcoming and the last one I just finished up is being overwhelmed. And I think it was probably the teaching of Pastor Chuck that you have to take your eyes off of the hospital and you have to put your eyes on God and you become overwhelmed by the goodness of God. And you see the sovereignty. You see the incredible hand of God beginning to work in and through your life. And so you thank God for what he's doing. And you don't understand it, but you begin to be more patient. And just about three months ago, my daughter finally came home. I remember working with Pastor Chuck. And uh, we were underneath of his car, putting a 429 in it. And I was just in tears. And I said to him, uh, hey, Chuck, my daughter just ran away. And he looked at me. He says, oh. Okay, hand me a 916, would you? And I said, what an uncompassionate thing you are. But what he was really saying is that, you know, you, we can't do anything about it. We just can't do anything about it. And it bummed me out. I was mad at him. I thought, you have no heart. You have no passion. But what he did for all of us guys is he pushed us back to God. He would not let us hang on to him. And the greatest thing that he'll go down in my life for is a man that would not cater to us. He would make us grow up. And when we didn't understand, he didn't care. And when we had to go through it, he gave us a remain. So that was about the worst thing could at that point. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so you had a drill instructor pulling you into the checks, you know. And uh and so he threw it all, you know, he threw me out of the church for two months and and he's taught me big lessons, but I'm here today and you know, I, I don't think I would change anything. I think that the patience, the understanding. So my text, I don't know why, is really unfair, honestly, before God. But they gave me one on enduring and patience. So I'm going to teach on that. And Joe's going to teach on the second half. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 10. It's a great little passage. And it has to deal with just um, really the word of patience. The word of patience. And we're going to take a look at that. And I'm going to tie it in really with probably the life of Moses and try to give you a little bit of understanding. Let me give you three verses and uh, we'll dive into this in Revelation 3, 9, 10, and 11. 9 and 10, I should say, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou has kept the word of my patience. And that's the key. You've kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And so mine today is because thou has, has kept the word of thy patience. And then Joe will be teaching on the rest. But because thou has kept. The key word is keep. You have kept my word no matter how bad it's gotten. No matter what you go through in life, if your daughter runs away or your wife goes through the change of life or things aren't going well for you or even things when happens in our life, it's our problems. We have to face it. And we have to come to grips with a couple things. Number one, it's our problem. We're in the pulpit. We lead, we guide, we teach, we instruct. 
And so if we don't like something, we can fix it. Or we can sit down in council. Or we can come together. We can't be like the sheep. We have to learn to reason, to talk, to be a blessing. But because of our insecurity, so many of you are so insecure, that is what governs your life. And boy, I know. It governed my life for so many years, but that insecurity will cause you to make bad judgments. And you will begin to realize that some of the things you've done and some of the things that are happening right now in your ministry have almost been a fulfillment of the prophecy that you have thought. You know, this person doesn't like me. You have to come to realize that God is going to give you somebody in your life that's going to drive you crazy. Well, Chuck was it for me. My dad never talked to me. Chuck doesn't talk. You say, you're kidding me. No, just drive with him for six hours. How are you doing? Great. How's it going? Okay. What's going on in the world? Terrible. That's about it. And so here I am again with a Chuck. And it just drives you crazy. But then I began to love it. Because we sit there and travel and fly and we talk about things. And then we just be quiet. And when all of a sudden a pilot... Or a pastor wouldn't be quiet. We just took the jet straight up and turned it. And that was the end of that poor pastor. He didn't talk for the rest of the trip. But I got in trouble for that. But I can't do that no more. But it says in Romans 5.3, Not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Also knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And so the key, that we are going to glory in tribulation. And the reason why is because it's going to teach you patience. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4, But all in all things approving ourselves the ministers of God. And that's key. We are given this position by God. Sometimes we think we got it, but eventually we find out we have been given the oracles of God. We've been handed that incredible responsibility. And it's our responsibility to do what's right before God. One of the things that really breaks my heart is David, King David. He knew exactly what he was doing when he went to bed with Bathsheba. That is so bad. When you get into it and really study it, you realize why Ahithophel left. And why Ahithophel turned so drastic on David. Have you ever thought about it? Looked into it? Well, why did Ahithophel go with Absalom? How could Ahithophel, that guy that we read in the Bible, we took sweet counsel together. We went into the house of God together. His counsel was like the... Counsel from the oracles of God. In other words, Ahithophel brought David to the highest point of his life. But what did David do for Ahithophel? He went to bed with his granddaughter. Bathsheba was the granddaughter of Ahithophel. So now tell me, if I was your friend and I went to bed with your granddaughter, what would you think? Would you be mad? You'd be, you'd be out of control. And so you, you see David. What happened to him? He was not a friend. He did not show himself a friend. He killed Uriah. And so when they went to bed, finally, Bathsheba and David, this is what went through Bathsheba's mind. You killed my husband. You, my, my grandfather hung himself because of you. I've lost a child because of you. And I've lost who I am because of you. In other words, what did David do? And you have to come to grips, and I have to come to grips, with we have to be witnesses of God. And the thing that we love so much about Pastor Chuck is through the years, he's been a strong example. Though we don't understand everything, we don't understand the things, he doesn't call, talk, or anything else, but that's just the way it is. That's the one who God gave. He could have given to somebody else, someone who would be all touchy and feely and take us out to lunch, and then all of a sudden, that person would go, and who would you turn to? You wouldn't turn to God. You'd turn to somebody else. 
So when someone forces you to God, when all they do is say, you know, I have a responsibility with these boys to get them to heaven. What's the best way to do it? I know I'm going to push them to God. They're going to have to find an answer. And this is the most incredible journey you've ever been on. And yes, your daughter will come back. Yes, God will heal your marriage. But it's going to have to happen in the pastor. It's going to have to happen in his heart, his life. He's going to have to deal with the sin in his life. He's going to have to deal with the lying that goes on. And he's have to eventually become a great man of God. And it takes time. It says here in 2 Corinthians 6.4, But in all things approving ourselves, the ministers of God, in much patience, affliction, and necessity. So we see that. And then in Colossians 1.11, Strengthen with all might, what? That inner man, according to that glorious power, unto all patience. When I was in the hospital four times in seven months, it got really hard. It just got really hard. The, the last surgery, I just broke down and started crying from my doctor. He's Jewish, great guy, brain surgeon. I thought maybe he should do brain surgery, forget the back surgery. But, you know, and he said, what do you want me to do? I said, just screw it, nail it, glue it, wire it. I don't care. But I can't do this again. Every time I come in here, a hundred stitches. God, I haven't been to my own church in eight months. But then the church grows and it makes more money without you. So... So what do you do? You know, and you just and people don't visit. Greg came by and Don McClure came by and and Chuck came by, but very few people came by. And, and it's you realize where are the friends? Do we reach out? Can we really be a friend to one another? We have no idea what we go through. And yet, for some reason, we think that's OK. You don't have to tell anybody. There's nothing wrong with sharing. There's everything wrong with not trusting. And it says here in First Peter, Peter chapter 1, verse 7, the trying of your faith being much more precious than gold. I mean, where's the gold? I don't get it. Precious. This is all going to be precious. And here's a man like Peter now saying everything's precious. I think he went too far, personally. That preciousness in that precious rock and a precious blood. He's the guy who's a fisherman. Everything's kind of tender and sweet. That perish, though they be tried with fire, will be found into the praise and honor. And then in First Peter 4, uh, 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. It's no big thing. So the question is, why? Why not? See, when Job stood up and said, God, why? Then God said to Job, you stand up. I have 77 questions I want to ask you. It's a dangerous thing to ask God why. But why would Job ask that question? Well, the question really lies in where does the book of Job open? It opens in heaven. So you can't look at the book of Job as a book of suffering. It's a book about the sovereignty of God. It's a book about the incredible sufficiency of God. It's the God that somehow we get so mad at our children because they don't know our God. Well, maybe we don't know Chuck's God and other gods. And it's our time to grow up. It's our time to take the mantle. It's our time to be able to minister and share, not ourselves. We lay those things aside. We press towards the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. And so I don't consider the things I've done. And what is a great lesson in our life? To die to ourselves, To really come to a point that I say, God, teach me. And I believe now more than ever before, it's not for preaching. It's being prophetic. People are looking for answers. People are dying. And you have to have an answer. And God is looking to you. And people are looking to you. And if you don't have an answer, we're in horrible shape. But the answer comes through patience and gentleness and trials and anger and all the things we go through in life. But you just have to understand one thing. 
you can disqualify yourself very quickly. And that disqualification doesn't have to come in the form of a woman or drinking or sex or pornography. It can come with anger. And that's what I found out. I became so angry at what was going on in my life. And one day, it was a miracle happened in my life. It was like, all of a sudden, I realized, you know, I am so mad because I feel like I'm in a wheelchair. And so I had dinner that night with Johnny Erickson, and, and she said, turn my arm. And I go, what for? She goes, I want to eat. And so I'm turning her arm, trying to take it around the back of this wheelchair so she can turn around, and I couldn't do it. And tears are running down her eyes, and she said, Stephen, do you love me? I go, yeah, Johnny. Why are you here? I said, I don't know. If I was sick, wasn't sick, I wouldn't be here, Johnny. But because I'm sick, I'm here. Well, if you love me, do what I ask you to do. Put my arm around the chair. And it was the hardest thing I could have done. And tears are running down because she has to turn so she can eat. And then I realized, you know, I don't have her spirit. And so I went home and it was like, it was a God that said this to me. He said, Stephen, you have a broken body. But you will not admit it. You're prideful. You're arrogant. You want to keep on going. You feel like you're John Wayne. You're taking six shots. But Steve, you are Don Knox. That's all you are now. I said, you're, I said, no. Steve, can you do carpentry? No. Can you do anything? No. Can you tie your shoes? No. Well, John Wayne could walk down the street and take six shots and keep walking. That's not you. And I realized, you know, that's true. But then this is what God said. Steve, you have a broken body, but you do not have a broken spirit. You can preach in a wheelchair, but listen to me, guys. If you don't deal with this broken spirit, they're going to kick you out of this church. It's okay to have a broken body. It is not okay to have a broken spirit. You have to rise above it. You have to overcome it. And you have to realize that it doesn't make a difference whether I die or whether I live. I'm the Lord's. If I live, I preach. If I die, I preach. It doesn't make a difference. I know what I have to do. But to sit here and feel sorry for myself. And then to have be given a guy like Pastor Chuck, you fly with him. Someone says, well, how are you doing, Pastor Steve? And Chuck knows I whine sometimes. He says he's doing fine. <laughs> Let me tell him, Chuck, no. You just eat and don't whine so much. I go, okay, you know. So, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm preaching. And he said, now, you didn't say that word right. And, okay. Well, why don't you correct anybody else? Mind your own business, Steve. I'm picking on you right now. Okay, okay. Got it. But you, it's still there. And finally, it happened. I realized, God, I want to give you thanks for this broken body. I can't do it. I can't do anything. I can't tie my shoes. But I can rejoice. I can preach in a wheelchair. And I can have a spirit that can overcome this world. But... You did it. And at that point, the burden was lifted off. And my wife told me the other day that I've been the most joy to live with in the last years. This hasn't been easy. But I'm happy and joyous. And I know what I can do and what I can't do. And it's not about traveling. It's not about making a name. It's not about doing something. It's about being faithful to the congregation. It's about teaching the Word of God. It's about you going deeper. It's about you being able to know when you stand in that pulpit, it's not a TV dinner, it's a Chateaubriand. You're given the very best, and you won't miss it for anything. And you will serve those people and die for those people and love those people because those people have given up so much. And they believe in you so much. And they need to have that hope. And I know the thing that saved me was I knew that every Thursday night, Chuck would be there. 
It was a consistency that the world is inconsistent, but there is something consistent going on. And one last scripture, we'll jump into what I want to share, is in Luke chapter 21, verse 19, in your patience, possess your soul. And so God works in many ways, and sometimes people don't realize it. In Miriam, she didn't realize it. She got sick, but she was rebellious against God. And she died a year later because she couldn't keep her eyes on God. I think of Achan. He destroyed his family. Why? Because he was greedy. He couldn't trust God. He wasn't patient enough to wait. He had to have what was at uh, Jericho. He had to take that possession. And what's so silly? It was a Babylonian garment. And where's he going to wear it? At midnight over the hill and then bring it back and bury it? And then I think of Gehazi. What's up with him? Here's an intern under one of the great, great preachers. And all of a sudden we find that he's out saying, my master changed his mind. He wants all the junk. And so when Elijah got back, when he got back, Elijah said, where you been? Starbucks? He said, no. Hey, I saw you. I saw you in the back of the chariot. I saw you what you were doing. I saw you took everything. You missed one thing. What's that? You missed leprosy. You might as well take that too. Because Naaman gave it up. You might as well get everything he had. And he lost everything. And you can lose it. You can lose the call of God if I don't pay attention. Because it's a calling. It's a supernatural calling. It's a calling from God that it does not go away. And God will be with us. And that calling is without repentance. In other words, it is a gift that God's given to you. And God will put up with a lot. And God will do a lot. But when the people start suffering, and when people stop losing vision because of what I'm going through, the hard times in my life, that has to change. If I'm their pastor, if I preach it, I have to live down that area I preach. It's very hard sometimes. And we see the very thing happen. With David, he destroyed a friend. And Samson, he destroyed everything that God gave him because he had to be with a Philistine woman. There are things in our lives, I want to share with you in just a second, what really got Moses. You know what it was? You know why Moses hit that rock? Because years earlier in his life, it was his anger. And all of a sudden, it's gone for 120 years. And at the very end of his life, what came back in a horrible way? What's the thing that took him out of ministry? What's the thing that disqualified him from going over? It was his anger. He smote the rock again. He was so mad. He says, you want water? Here's your water. And God said, come here. You did not represent me. I have never been mad at these people. You think I'm mad. I have never been upset. There have been times I wanted to get rid of them, of course. But here, I told you what to do. There was no problem. I said, you go and you do what I tell you. You speak to the rock. I'll bring the water and they're going to praise me. But you couldn't do that. You thought somehow in your mind, in your heart, you had a right because you've been in ministry so long or you have understood the ropes and everything that you could do what you wanted to do. But you changed my word and you put a burden upon the people that I wouldn't have done. And you brought damage to the kingdom of God. And what you really did, Moses, and what some of us don't even realize, you did something so bad, that's why I'm keeping you out of the kingdom. You changed a type. I established a type that that rock was to be Christ, and he was to be once beaten, and that was it, never to be beaten again. But he was to be able to be spoken from that moment on. But when you beat that rock, that's the end. You destroyed the whole purpose I wanted to do. And so you have not been doing what I've asked you to do. So therefore, you cannot go in. Later on in his ministry, he began to cry and complain. And God just said, I've had it with you. That's enough. You're not going in. 
And you think, now wait a second, 80 years of faithfulness. No, you don't understand. This is a gift that God has handpicked you, that God has called you. For some reason that God was with us when we got called by Chuck. For some reason, God allowed a red guitar to go on stage. He allowed things to happen. And yes, we've taken advantage of things. Yes, we've done things we wish we had never done before. Yes, we have really embarrassed it. Yes, we've almost all lost our marriages because our wives have felt undone. Why? Because we're trying to do the ministry so well we don't take care of our family. And so when you hear what happens in our life, we are responsible for our wives and our children and balancing everything. And when I can't do that, it means my life is out of whack. And I have to go back. What is the principle? And here it is very simply. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, he says, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin. And the people abode in Kadesh. This is where Miriam died. Now you have to remember as I read these 12 verses, I want you to think as pastors. Think of all the pressure on this man right now. Add his sister just died. It's very hard. There was not no, there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Another problem. The people chided. Another problem, and spake saying, "Would God that we had died when our brothers died before? Why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord uh, into this wilderness that we and our cattle would die there? Therefore, have you made us to come?" Out of Egypt. No, that's not true. But they're blaming him. To bring us into an evil place. That's not true. This was going to be the kingdom of God. It is no place of seed. There's no fig trees, vineyards, pomegranates, so on. In other words, there's nothing here. Verse 7. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. That's it. Just go stay, just stand there and speak to the rock. You're going to be speaking to me. It shall give water, forth water, and thou shalt bring forth them water out of the rock, so that thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts a drink. So God is thinking about their animals and everything else. He's not mad. Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded. Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, much we fetch this water out of this rock. Stop right there. Are we going to have to do this? Are we going to have to do this? Lord, verse 11, Moses lifted up his hand. Interesting. Anger, right there. And with his rod, he smote it twice, just hit it. The water came out abundantly. Graciously, The congregation drank and laughed and they were happy. The Lord said, you too, get over here. Because you believe not to sanctify me. There it is. When Chuck says, you have not been a witness or you're not being a witness or you're not being a good example. That's what he's saying. He says, you have not sanctified me before the children of Israel. You have not set me as a representation. You told them I was mad. You told them I'm an angry God. You told them that I'm harsh and cruel and I swing and I don't listen and they're rebels, but I'm Ephraim, I died for. I mean, you, that's not me. I don't, why did you do that? And Moses probably just sounds tired. My sister died. I just went through it. I got tired of it. They murmur. 
Three million people day in, day out murmured. And for 80 years, 40 years in the wilderness and 40 years faithfulness, one mistake, one mistake cost them everything. But how bad was it? It was really bad. Because you're called by God to stand before the people. And the closest thing to God is you. And that's what they see. And when you're short, then God's short. And when you're mad and begging, then God's mad and begging. And when you're complaining and griping, then God is complaining and griping. And that's not our God. And we teach it one way and we live it another way. And we say one thing in the pulpit and we go home and we gripe about who's in leadership in front of our kids. And that's why our kids are not in church. And we have destroyed our own children because we don't live this thing the way that God wants us to. And yes, the grace of God and the mercy of God will carry us. But what the great thing is, is this is a generation that's going to be taken over you guys. And it's, it's, it's not a, a playground. It's a battlefield. And it's, it's not a thing that you can't have fun. You can have fun. It's not a thing that you can't own things and enjoy things and go places. But remember who's paying you. It's the people. And remember why you're there. Because it was a call upon your life. And you cried to Pastor Chuck. You cried to other people. To, and you said, I have to go. I have to go. I have to go. And now, what can you give me? What can you give me? What can you give me? Instead of, what are you giving them? And yes, it's hard setting still for hours and hours and hours on a Saturday when it's a nice day to go surfing. But you better set your fanny down. And you better not stand up there and serve TV dinners because that's not a Calvary. And that's how we don't do things that way. And then one last thing and all of a sudden you finally get something big. And you better realize that every other young guy is looking to you how you live your life. And some of the guys are watching R-rated movies and things like that. We ought not to. We just ought not to. There are occasions, I guess, you know, with the passion and things like that, so be it. But you know what's right and what's wrong. And we see here in verse 12, the Lord spoke and said, You did not sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation in. What a tragic thing. So here's the question. What did Moses do to displease the Lord? Well, number one, in verse 10, he lost his fear of God. That's all. He just draw it down. He lost the fear of God. You don't act that way when God tells you to do something. And the first thing that goes is always the fear of God. You lose your devotion. You're never going to rise higher than your devotional life. And one of the great things about traveling with Chuck is that he would always be in God's word. He was always there up early in the morning. But you have to maintain that. And the more you give, the more you have to take in. And then not only that, he somehow felt like he had become the judge of the people. He began to judge God's people. Have you done that? You're judging so-and-so. They don't come. They don't come. Why don't they come? Forget it. You're not there to judge. You're there to teach the Word of God. Some guy Sunday morning was on the phone texting, you know, I think. Maybe he was doing something, but it just bugged me. And I wanted to stop the service and go down and whack him. And I remember being with Don and myself, and there was a guy reading the newspaper when Pastor Chuck was teaching. And I said, you know, we got to go stop that guy. And, and, uh... The guy got saved with a newspaper. Well, guess who came forward Sunday morning? That guy with the Blackberry came forward and got Jesus Sunday morning. So it's to throw you off. But would you rather have him there or at a bar texting? Tell me. You don't bring him. Let him sleep. Let him fall asleep. I don't care. Just bring him. And all of a sudden we see 
you rebels. That's, that's judging. Wait, time out. I thought we are supposed to love everyone equally. And we, we shouldn't really have favors. And all of a sudden now, Moses is calling the people how he really feels. He hasn't said this at all. But in his heart, he felt it. And you saw it coming. And all of a sudden, he's angry at God. You are rebels, you guys. And then, look at He changes God's word. He changes God's word. And there at verse 10, he said unto them, hear me, must we? And that's not what God said. God says, go speak to the rock. He didn't tell them, Moses, to speak to them. He says, you go speak to the rock. He decided he had something to say to the people. He should have stayed to his plan and talked about Jesus Christ. Not about what's going on in his life. Not doing his laundry over the pulpit. He ought to stay faithful. So right off the bat, we find out, number one, he's out of control in verse 10. He's out of control. And probably, Miriam, probably things happen, everything happened, but that's not the point. God has made a way of escape for every one of us. We have to learn to be strong. And we can make it. And yes, it's going to be lonely. And yes, things are not going to be there. And people are going to let you down. And horrible things are going to happen in your life sometimes. I just think of the blessing that Greg has been. And others have gone through losing people. But, you know, it's just no one understands. But they're not supposed to understand. We live between the die, those who are dead and those who are alive. And then we realize here, verse 10, he exalted himself. He says, much we fetch. I thought he was a servant. Do I have to do this? Do I have to pay your bills too? Do I have to wash your car? Do I have to pick you up and get here on time? What's wrong with you people? See, what's happening? There's pressure, no money coming in. So now you have to do things different. And then look at verse 11 and 12. He destroyed God's type. He says he beat the rock in verse 11. He beat the rock. He was not to do that. He blew the testimony. And then in verse 12, it says he beat the people. He beat the rock and he beat the people. And all of a sudden you think, my goodness, this is the greatest man, the man of meekness. What happened? And, you know, I think I've been close to that. Because you get so mad. You get so angry when you're so sick. And people who are healthy don't understand it. But that's okay. And then you start judging people because they're healthy and you're sick. That's not right. This is what God gave me. For some reason, God felt like I needed this. And I agree with him. I have to be really stubborn to have all this stuff go on. What's wrong? I mean, when your pastor calls you Job, I mean, that's a sad day in your life. But that's what he calls me. Hey, Job, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, but, you know, hey, God gave him back everything double, right? But not kids. So he's a wise God. Well, a real bummer. So, you know, so if that's Moses and you can see that. So I, I don't want to teach it anymore. You, you got that. He blew it. He absolutely blew it. And he blew it in this way. Before God, he did not represent God. He did not stand for God, did not speak for God, did not love for God. And those people were so afraid because, yes, they have been griping. But when he did what he did, every one of those people went back to their tent afraid because they knew God was mad. And they knew that God hated them because God called them. You remember? Because they said one day, hey, you speak for us from God. We're too afraid to be close. And so every word that came out of his mouth, it was God. And those people were scared to death. And God just says, that's it. You've crossed over a line. I cannot do it anymore. I can put up with money. I can put up with this. I can put up with that. I can put up some things, some attitudes, but I can't put up with this. 
Because I have to be represented as someone that's holy, someone who's righteous, and someone that's pure. And so I realized he beat the people. And then his anger in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it came to pass in those days when Moses was growing that he went out and saw his brethren. He looked when he was in Egypt. He despised and he went out. You know the story. He, he looked, I love this, he looked this way and he looked that way. But what happened? He didn't look up. So I, I, I look this way and I look that way. And, you know, Chuck's not looking and Don's not looking and Gray's looking. And I'm going to do it. But God's looking. <laughs> I'm in serious trouble. And so he did it. The next day, you know the story. He came back and the Hebrew guy said, are you going to kill us too? So he took off. So for the next 40 years, he was undone. So undone, he couldn't even speak. Now he's in ministry for 40 years. 80 years. And I think I would just say very simply that in Deuteronomy 3, verse 25, it says, I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land, please. Verse 26, but the Lord was wroth. He's still angry with me for your sake. Bad. Time out. Why couldn't Moses say God was mad because of me? He's still doing it. He's still blaming people because of something. I got taken out of the ministry because of somebody else. No, you got taken out of the ministry because of you. You got messed up because of you. You took your eyes off of God. You took your eyes off the Word of God. And you got out of God's Word. And the pressure killed you. Because when God told you by the Spirit to get apart, you didn't and you fell apart. It's just real easy. And so, we have to be responsible. God, I have to maintain. And if I'm trying to do my devotions with my study, that's not where it's at. I have to maintain my devotional life much higher. And the more that Greg gives and the more God uses Greg, the more somehow Greg has to pray and has to have a greater devotional life. And I've been praying for Greg a lot lately. God, you've placed him there in front of us. God, give this guy your grace. God, let him find time in your word because he's a target. You're a target. Joe Bolch is a target. I'm a target. Every one of us is a target. And you remember what happened with Martin Luther. One day he came back from ministering and praying and seeking God. And his wife was all dressed in black. And Martin Luther said, what, what, what happened? Oh, God died. And he got so furious. Woman, how dare you say that? Well, you know, Martin, the way you act, it sure seems like God's dead. One day I said, Gail, you never call me, you know, Lord. And then she came back with, when you start acting like Abraham, I'll call you Lord. Okay, fair. Let me end up by saying this. I'll give you five things to think about. What must I do to please God? Number one. 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are expedient and lawful to me, but all things are not lawful, but all things are not brought under the power of any. Excuse me. But I will not be brought under the power of any. So let me take that. I can do anything, but if it's going to bring me under the power. So, one day Chuck said, I don't drink no more coffee around me. Because <laughs> I get weird with coffee. His dad got weird with coffee. Well, then he said, you know, it alters your mind. Yeah. Then why do you do it? I don't know. I just want to feel the high. Well, why do you want to go back to drugs? I don't know. <laughs> you just don't want to be around him sometimes, you know. We're driving up the street. I say, hey, I read this great book about, you know, it gets really lonely at the top. He goes, really? I go, yeah. He says, I don't believe that. The Bible says, you know, he'll never leave you and forsake you. I said, that's it. I'm not going to talk to you no more. 
No more. I'm sick of this, you know. But it's true. So that's what happens. I handed the keys to him when I closed down the church of 29 Palms. And instead of saying, hi, how you doing? Thank you. He didn't say thank you. He just took the keys and walked away. Another great moment in my life, you know. And then finally I came down every single week. I drove down from 29 Palms every single Saturday. You can ask him. Chuck, is this the day God spoke to you to come on staff? No. Okay. Next Sunday. Next Saturday. For over a year. My wife goes, you're not going down. Yes, I am. I think God spoke to him. No, Stephen. You've got to get to the sermon. Don't do it. I've got to do it. Is this the day? No. I think God saved me. I'm not going on staff personally. But then one day he said yes. <laughs> Jesus. I got a little church of 29 Palms for you. Oh, God, no. I hate 29 Palms. It's a, the wage of sin is 29 Palms. I hate 29 Palms. And that's where he sent me. So my whole Christian walk is, did he just get rid of me? How did he do it so wisely? But in 29 Palms, I had nothing but the Bible in me. So God has orchestrated. And even when he said no and broke my heart, it was God that's saying yes. So we have to get to a point in our lives that we don't get weird, guys. We can't. Quickly. And I'm not going to read these off to jot them down. So 6.12. In 1 Corinthians 10.23, will it hinder my life? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Is it going to hinder my life if I do this? Ask yourself. Number three. Will it edify me? 1 Corinthians 10.23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify. Is it going to edify me going to this movie? Is it going to edify me finding an answer out? I don't think so. Number four. Will it bring glory to God? In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether there be eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Is this going to be for the glory of God? Is my weight for the glory of God? My health, everything else, can I do something better? Yes, I can. Am I living my life for the glory of God? Can I do it? No, not always. Number five, will it build me up? This is important to me. Second Corinthians 10, 8. For though I should boast somewhat more of authority, which the Lord has given us for edification and not for destruction, is this thing going to build me up or not? And one last one, number six. Will it strengthen my life? In First John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. In other words, is it going to honor my God? I mean, I stand in this pulpit. Is it going to honor God? Am I going to be a blessing to you guys? And you remember when Peter took the sword? You remember that? And he whacked it. You remember? There's one verse, it says here, I've never seen this before, but when I was so sick, this is the verse God gave me. But how, then, shall the scripture be fulfilled, that thus it must be? Matthew 26, 54. But now, but how, then, shall the scriptures be fulfilled? If I run away, if I don't face my problems, if I don't stick it out, if I don't stick with my wife, if I don't stick with the church, if I don't face my brothers and sisters, then how can it ever be fulfilled? That's why Jesus could die. He had to stick it out because he had to die because he had to get you saved. I just want to suggest that how do you know 
that God has not brought you to this horrible situation in your life just for you to surrender and not to keep swinging, but to let it go because this is God's will in your life. Amen. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we give you the praise and the glory for everything in Jesus name. And all the guys said, amen. God bless you.